Okay, welcome back to Kingdom 101. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is spirit and truth and life. And that's what we desire of it, Lord. We want it to touch our hearts. We want it to stir us deep, to awaken us, Lord, and to align us to all that you have for us. So please be with me as I share. Be with us as we process this. And in all things, we want Jesus to be lifted up and to be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Tonight, the title is Name Calling. And if you have been with us for a while, we're in the book of Matthew. And we will be in the book of Matthew for a while. And we're in chapter 1. We're going to talk about names the significance of names, the meaning of names. And so we have to ask ourselves, what's in a name? Let me ask you first, do you know what your name means? Now, some of you might know. Some of you, maybe you've never thought about it, right? Uh, you were just given that name or you say, I like that name. And so you took upon yourself that name. Now, parents would choose good and strong names for their children, usually. It would be very seldom that we would name our children uh, Judas, uh, or, or a weak name, or a bad name, something like that. Huh? Why? Because we have hope and expectation that they will, they will grow up to express, you know, or to exemplify those names. In a Chinese culture, we will look at the date, right, of birth, uh, we will look at the number of strokes even and to see whether is it um, good or, you know, um, auspicious and all. Now, I've got good experience or a lot of experience giving names because uh, we have seven children and each time the Lord has blessed us with one, uh, we've had to think of a name. And so for their Chinese names, I mean the English names, Christian names, it was easy enough in that we wanted biblical names. So we will pick the nice ones and the good ones and the strong ones. But for the Chinese one, I'm not particularly strong in that area. Uh, we actually picked this to be the continuing uh, or consistent factor for all of them. And so those who know this word is un, which means grace. So our house is full of grace. We've got sevenfold grace. So all of them are something earned, something earned, something earned, and something earned. Okay. So we, we pick good names. That's why it makes me wonder why in times past, maybe they were known as affectionate names or terms of endearment. You call someone Akao, which is dog. Angyao, cat. Agu, cow. Atu, pig. You know, it makes you wonder why would you call someone like that? And yet, we do that, right? Or sometimes we're even called worse things uh, in school or by our classmates or by our teacher, you know, stupid, useless, goblock, uh, income poop, you know, whatever. So tonight, we're talking about names. And I want to start with that because names have a meaning and they are significant. Now, biblically, we can see some examples what names can mean or what they signify. For example... Within the name, you will see the nature of a person. And that would contain also the person's character, trait, or personality. Now, you know, when Jacob was born, when he came out, you know, his, he was called the supplanter. I mean, that's a 
terrible name, actually, you know. But it, it just means one who grabs. So he's always grabbing. That's you know? so why I think he was Singaporean. Isao, he came out and he was hairy, okay? And they called him Isao, which means red. So he's the original biblical Ang Mo, red hair. Now, the name can also signify a title. And in that title, it's not just a title, it would describe a person's function or assignment. Okay, so every time you see a title, you have to ask, what should this title do? Okay, uh, there is a function for this person as well as an assignment. There is also a significance of power and authority. That means this name, if you use a certain name, it will enable you to do something or you know, uh, get yourself known, something like that. And so when the apostles were performing miracles, the leaders asked them, you know, by whose name do you do this? And of course they replied, it will be Jesus. The names would also mean reputation. So when you say you have a good name, that's your standing in the community, then you have a good reputation. For example, today, as Singaporeans, you know, last couple of weeks, we, we mourn the loss of our leader. Now, if you mention his name, it actually gives Singapore a very good reputation, right? And names can also denote relationship. In other words, when you take on someone's name, you are affiliated to this person or you belong to this person. So in the Bible, we see names like Daniel, uh, Samuel, Joel. You know, it's always something related to God. Now, if you look at the Babylonian names of Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, now these names all belong to the Babylonian gods. All right, so they're trying to put upon them an affiliation or relationship to their gods. Now, names can also describe experiences. So Moses is an example. He was, his name means drawn from the reeds. Okay, so as an experience, uh, the, he was named after that experience. There's another guy in the Bible called Jabez, and his name means pain. Okay, uh, so not, not really nice name, uh, but that's the experience that the mother went through. Uh, Leah named Asher because she was happy to have this child, and so on, you know. Um, names can also connote a meaning. It can provide a message within the names. Now, you may have heard this preached before. We've gone through this in a genealogy in Matthew chapter 1. Judah begot Perez and Zerah. Now, to you, this is just a father fathering twins. Now, what does Judah mean? Praise. What does Perez mean? Breakthrough. What does Zerah mean? Rising and arising. And so, if you literally read that, it actually means praise gives birth to a breakthrough and an arising. See that? And I've heard messages being preached tonight. It's nice, you know, but... You, you can't take all the names and force fit that kind of a meaning in, okay? So some will have meaning, some will deliver a message, not necessarily all, okay? So don't please don't go to the Bible and pull names and put together and, and form your own theology, okay? Now, this is important because this is a backdrop for us um, this evening in this title called Name Calling. And let's read from Matthew chapter 1. 21 to 23, and that's where we are at this point in time. 
Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, 23. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Tonight's um, message, there will only be two points tonight. And everyone can say hallelujah. There are only two points, but that does not mean that it will be a short message. We can see from this, these three verses that Joseph was asked to call his son Jesus. And later on, we'll see that there is a prophecy that was fulfilled where a child's name will be called Emmanuel. And so let's go to point number one and let's study this aspect of this name called Jesus. See, Joseph's kingdom assignment, and last week we've already established this, it was his messianic mission. The first thing he has to do is marry Mary. And after that, when Mary gives birth, you are to name your son, this child, Jesus. That was his assignment. It was plain and simple, not necessarily easy. And so Jesus is born, and he calls his name Jesus. Now, in the Greek, is Jesus. But we are more familiar with the Hebrew, Yeshua. Now, Yeshua is a contracted version from the longer name, Yehoshua, which we get the name Joshua, Yeshua. It means Yahweh is salvation, God is our salvation, or just plainly, God saves. Now today we look at this name Jesus, and it's a beautiful name to us. We declare this name, and we shout this name. But do you know that in those days, Yeshua was a very common name? Very, very common name. I suppose you can take a stone, you throw, and you hit a Yeshua. <laughs> okay? And... The question for us to ponder is, so Joseph is told to name his son Jesus or Yeshua. How different is this Yeshua? And I want to give you some hints from the Old Testament. You see, Matthew was writing to the Jews, God's people, and Matthew would always draw or perhaps allude to Old Testament references. Now you need to do a little bit of... Uh, uh, Sherlock Holmes down here, a little bit of investigation. But you see, let's ask, where, when would this name of Joshua or Yeshua be significant in the Old Testament? And the very first one I'm bringing you to is actually Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. Now, this is Moses giving his last instructions to God's people. Very soon, he will be departing. He will not get to cross into the land. And he declares, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear. Now today we look back and we say, look, we, we, we recognize this. We know this because Stephen quotes it in Acts chapter 7 verse 37. He said, this is the Moses that actually said this. And this prophet that comes that will be like him is actually fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Now today we know that because we have heard it preached. 
But to the people, they are waiting for someone to take over from Moses, is it not? Moses was a great prophet leader in his time. And to lose him, or at least to see him depart, they want to wait for someone else. Now guess who takes after Moses? Yeshua, Joshua, you see? And so Joshua is inaugurated in front of uh, the, the presence of God's people. God himself tells Joshua, be bold, be strong, do not be afraid, you know, you're going to take the people in. And so we have the very first hint down here that there is a Yeshua that will come after. The one that comes after Moses is a Yeshua. Hint number one. Now we go on and we look at another one in Zechariah chapter 3. And Zechariah chapter 3, Zechariah actually was shown a high priest and his name was Yeshua. Joshua, do you know this passage? Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. And Joshua was there before the Lord and he was actually dressed in filthy garments. And do you know who was on his right-hand side? Satan was on his right. And Satan was opposing this guy with filthy garments. What does God do? In this vision, God rebukes Satan, removes the filthy garments, and clothes him with rich robes. Isn't that beautiful? Does it remind you of something? Right? And this is Yeshua, the high priest. And later on, he declares, Hear, O Joshua, the high priest, for behold, I am bringing forth my servant, the branch. That's hit number two for us. All right? That this Yeshua will take on the filthy garments of his people, but that will be removed and it will be replaced with rich robes. Now we move to hit number three and we see in Zechariah chapter six, just three chapters down. Now Joshua the high priest is there again. And here, God then tells Zechariah, take the silver and gold, make an elaborate crown and set it on the head of Joshua. And so now he is a high priest, but he is made to wear a crown. And in verse 12 and 13, it says, Then speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold the man whose name is the branch. From his place he shall branch out, he shall build the temple of the Lord. Yes, he shall build the temple of the Lord. He shall bear the glory. He shall sit and rule on his throne. So he shall be a priest on his throne. And the council of peace shall be between them both. So hit number three, there's Yeshua again, but he's not only the priest, he will be crowned also as king. Now, isn't it beautiful? There are three references, as it were, to Yeshua, and it shows us three titles of Jesus, his three positions, where today we know him as prophet, priest, and king. This is not any Yeshua. There will be a Yeshua who will come, who will fulfill prophecy. There will be a Yeshua who will be a prophet, just like you see prophet uh, in, in, in Moses. 
There will be a Yeshua who will take the role of a high priest. There will also be a Yeshua who will be crowned the Messiah. This is not any old Yeshua. It's a common Yeshua name. But this Yeshua will be prophet, priest, and he will be king. And he has come in this name. God saves because he will save his people from their sins. Now, as we look at that, we say, okay, fine. He will save his people from their sins. So we see now the significance of the name. The name describes his mission. The name describes his assignment. His assignment is to save his people from their sins. Now, don't read it too quickly. That's why I put this question up there. We have to ask ourselves, save who, from whom, or what? Save who? Do you realize that many times we ask God to save us, we usually say, oh Lord, please save me from my enemies. Oh Lord, please save me from this situation. Am I right? <laughs> oh Lord, please save me from something, from someone. Right? It's usually external, isn't it? But what does this verse say? It says, save his people from their sins. It's not something external. It's something internal. Not only that, we realize it is to save his people. It's not to save someone else. It's to save his people, his own people. And today, we are God's people also. And we have to ask ourselves, say, Lord, we want you to save us. Oh, Lord, save us from what? From our sins. Now, the interesting thing about Israel or the people of God is God's people may have been conquered and ruled by the Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Medo-Persians, the Greeks, and the Romans. And so they're always praying, Lord, save us from our enemies. Lord, fight for us. You know? Lord, you are our salvation. Save us from someone else, from something else that is oppressing us from the outside. Here comes Matthew and he says, this is Jesus, Yeshua. God will save his people, not from the outside, but God will save you now from the inside. Because fundamentally, it was their own sin, their rebellion against God's rule and their disobedience to God's ways that brought their downfall. Can you see this? It's always been that. Why did they come? Why did God allow them to attack? It was because they sinned against God. So Matthew makes it very clear and he clarifies, it's not something external that we need to be saved from. It's something internal that God has to help us. For that, let's understand sin a little bit more. And I want to show you a, a, a picture that I took while on vacation with my family. Now that's me, trying to look as cool as I can. And I'm standing in front of an archery target board. Now, look at me. I have my thumbs up there, and I'm pointing to one that is very close to the bull's eye. Can you see? Right? And when I look at this picture, I say, wow, man, I... I I, I did it. We did it. You know, I can't remember whether was it me who shot that or was it my son who did that. But I thought it was a nice picture, so I, I know I was pointing to that as close to the bull's eye as possible, and I have my thumbs up. 
Isn't that true of many of us? We look at the good things that we do, then we say we're quite good, right? And not like the rest, but I'm quite good, right? And so I take a picture and it looks quite nice, but let's understand what sin is. Do you realize all the others that missed? They're on the board, but they missed the bullseye. You see my point? And sin literally means to miss the mark. See, if we ask ourselves, what does it mean to sin? We'll tell ourselves, oh, it's to do something wrong or to commit a crime. Now, that's not inaccurate, but literally, sin or to sin means to miss the mark or to lose one's way. That is the definition of sin. Put it another way, it can also mean to miss or to fail in God's ways, to miss His scope, and to miss His purposes for our lives. So if we look at this, then we understand, oh man, what does it mean then to sin? It means to miss God's things. It's to miss everything about God. And anything outside God's purview and God's purposes, that's bad news. So we don't just look at something that we do correct. We have to look at everything else that we have done incorrect or where we have missed the mark. It's not a pretty picture. And the truth is, we sin against others. And we are sinned against by others. Have you experienced this before? I'm sure yes. <laughs> because all of us struggle with this. So we miss God's ways, we miss God's purposes. We must admit we sin against others. But because they are also missing the mark, so they sin against us. So when we look at the world, we see our greed, we see our pride, we see our control-type behavior, and we force that upon the relationships that we have with one another. We cause pain, it brings hurt, it brings brokenness, Yesterday, the newspaper just reported that our marriages are not lasting as long, that the younger people today, they are dissolving their marriages much earlier. Now, the sad thing is, or the question we must ask, are Christians also doing that? Now, why do we do that? They will tell you, it's because I'm not happy. And so I'm doing it for your good so that I can be happy and you can be happy, you know, and we can go find our other partners again. But can you see at the bottom of that is sin, it's greed, it's selfishness. We want to have control over our own lives. It goes on to our sickness and our disease. We've got psychological problems, emotional problems, intellectual problems. In the relationships we suffer, not only in the world, not only in our workplaces, can everyone say amen? It happens in the church too. Right? In fact, it happens worse in the church. Because in the church, we are hoping that we'll be able to accept one another, to love one another, to look beyond one another's sin, but in fact, it becomes amplified. So we sin against other people, and other people sin against us. And guess what? We do it to the creation also. And so all creation is subjected to futility. And we know the consequence of sin is death. 
It says that the wages of sin is death. Can we admit that we are killing ourselves and we are killing each other? That's what sin is all about. See, until we acknowledge this, we will never acknowledge the need for salvation. Unless we acknowledge the presence of sin in our lives and in our midst and in our society and in this entire system that we live in, we will never acknowledge the need for salvation. And the message for us here is to remind one another, stop blaming everyone and everything else. See, Matthew makes it very clear. Jesus has come. He is here to save you from your sins. He didn't phrase it, Jesus has come to save you from my sins. That's a byproduct. You can have that. But point number one, he came to save you from your sins. Can I have an amen? But we don't like to hear that, you see. We like to blame someone else and something else and somewhere else. Oh, it's not me. I'm okay. We blame the government. Oh, it's not me. We blame the church. Oh, it's not me. We blame my husband. We blame my wife. It's not me. We blame the children. We blame the school. We blame the teachers. We blame the ministry. We blame the work. We're always blaming someone else. But I think we, we have to take stock and really just stop and say, let's stop blaming everyone else. The Bible is very clear. It's our sins. And so if I will take responsibility for my plight and you for yours, do you think we would have a better relationship? I believe so. You see, if a husband will say, Lord, save me from my sins, change me, transform me so that I'll be a better husband, I think he will be a better husband than he prays, oh Lord, please, you know, change my wife. And if you can't change my wife, that's why I'm changing a wife. Stop blaming everyone else. You can never end. And I believe tonight we have to ask ourselves even, have we been passing the buck? Admit your struggle with sin. Because Jesus is here to save His people from their sins. And that includes us. Amen? We need to be saved from ourselves. And we know we can't do that. Only Jesus can save us. Only Jesus can save us. Friends, whatever you're going through, however you're struggling, I know that you can be sinned against many times. But if your eyes are fixed only upon that, can I say that you're going to keep struggling all your life. But if you would say, Lord Jesus, save me. Save me. I believe that's a very good first step forward. Now, we know Jesus came to save. Now, the question is how? So let's look at the next slide and go back to our prophet, priest, and king, Jesus. Let's start with the priest. As priest, Jesus represents us. This is how he saves us, and you know this. We've just celebrated Good Friday. He comes as a perfect sacrifice because for every sin that is committed, there must be an offering to cover that sin. That we and I do not die, another life must be given. And so you know that He was the perfect sacrifice and He was the substitute that died for you and died for me. 
But he doesn't stop there. He also represents all of us in that. He takes his own blood and he goes into the presence of God the Father, the throne of God. And that is presented upon the mercy seat for all of us and in that he mediates the new covenant for all of us. Can you see? He is the go-between and that's what he does. Now, it doesn't stop there. He says that this high priest is always in the presence of God, interceding for all of us. I want that to encourage you that Jesus prays for us, stands in the gap for all of us, for all eternity. Isn't that wonderful? Right? Because he's, he's, his job has ended on earth, but as he goes into the presence, he continues as high priest. See, many times we like to think of salvation as a one-time event. So if I ask you, are you saved? I like to think all of you will say, yes, I am saved. But sometimes with that thinking, it ends there and we forget the continuing intercession of Jesus for us. Because He continues to do that, knowing that we need to continually be saved. A little bit about that in a short while. How about Jesus as king? As king, Jesus rules. But before he can do that, he has to save us or deliver us from the powers of sin, from the slavery and the bondage to sin. And you and I know that to do that, he has to redeem us. He has to pay a slave price. And he paid for it with his own life, with his own blood. He takes us out, and as king now, and as the new master, who do we belong to? We belong to Jesus. Now, you can say, amen, I know. You may say, I know it intellectually. But do you know that many people don't live that experientially? We still think we own our own lives. We don't. We take the name of the king, amen? We take the name of Jesus, and if you want to take the name of Jesus, we realize the significance of names is that when you take a name, you belong to that name. You are not your own anymore. He has given us a new identity. We are identified by His name. Emeritus Minister uh, gave a very, very good example, Go Chok Tong, in his eulogy. He said that as a young minister, he was traveling to, he went to, uh, on a mission and uh, a Puerto Rican guy came and looked at him and said, Chino, Chino. And he looked at him and he said, no, 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 Singapore, Singapore. And immediately the guy looked at him and said, ah, Lee Kuan Yew. And he was identified not by the country, not by anything. He was identified by a name. And I like to think that when we go out there, when we introduce ourselves, and when we, when we live in a, in, a, in a manner that's befitting, People will look at you and say, ah, Jesus. Amen? Ah, Christ's follower, which means Christian. Not Christian. <laughs> See, this is what salvation means. You understand? We, we don't just take the sacrifice and then dump the rest. As king, he sets us free from the curse of the law and brings us into the freedom of this by His Holy Spirit. Now, what does this mean? I mean, sometimes we, we preach this so many times, we use it so many times, we, we think we know it, but we don't understand it. Let me just paraphrase this for you. 
It just means that you, you, don't, you don't live in this kingdom by rules and regulation, but because you take the name, because you understand your king, you know the heart of this king. You live knowing his heart. What hurts him hurts you. What pleases him pleases you. That's what it means by living by the Spirit of the law. And in that, you have a freedom. It does not mean there's no longer any law because every kingdom is a lawful kingdom. Sometimes people get the wrong idea. Oh, we're no longer under law. We just throw everything out. No. You need to know your king. And Jesus saved us into this kingdom that we will know the heart of the Father. Amen? Now let's look at Jesus as a prophet, how he continues in this salvation work in that sense. As a prophet, what do prophets do? They help you realign. Have you realized this? If you look at the Old Testament prophets, it's always return, turn back. Now Jesus is the living word. The living word cannot help but preach the word. And so Jesus as king, Jesus as priest, Jesus as prophet, he would look at his people and he says, return to the word. Come back to the Word. He said, oh, no, no, no. I, I, I live by the Spirit. I said, yeah, the Spirit will come from the Word and the Word will come from the Spirit. So if you don't know the Word, how, what kind of Spirit are you living by? So Jesus calls everyone to realign back to the Word. Can you see this? And as a prophet, a good prophet, he will always do this. The prophetic voice is about edification. It's about exhortation. And it's about comfort. Now, those three words sound very nice, and they are nice. But I fear that today we are so afraid of offending people that prophecy is only reduced to nice statements that stroke but do not provoke. And so we tell people, oh, prophecy, no, no, the person come, you must encourage them, you must encourage them. I will encourage them. Get back to the word. Oh, you must edify them. I know. That's why they need the Word. It's to build them up. Oh, you must comfort them. Oh, the Word is very comforting. The prophets always bring a strong word to say, you realign. Because as you realign, the Lord comforts you. Amen? The Lord is with you. He's going to be with you and He will walk with you. See, the prophetic voice will always bring people back to the Word and to the ways of God. How does Jesus save? As prophet, priest, and king, you realize He continues to do this in our lives. He continues to do it. His sacrifice was once and for all. It's done. That's why He shouted, It is finished. It is finished. The word finished, as He uses that, is like a servant saying to the master, I've completed my assignment. It is finished. Do you know when Jesus finished his work, our work just started? And so sometimes as a statement, we, we, it sort of glosses over us. You know, Jesus has done everything. There's nothing else you need to do. You must add, for your salvation. Because if you stop there, only there's nothing else you need to do, then what are we doing here? I might as well go home. I don't need to do what? How come only I do, then you don't need to do what? You see the problem here? It's not consistent. And so this is the name of Jesus. 
He has come to save His people from their sins. How does He do that? He does it as prophet, He does it as priest, and He does it as king. Let me show you another slide before we move on to the next part. This is another way of presenting it. When Jesus died for us and when He saves us, He saves us past, present, as well as future. What this means is that in the past, every sin that we have committed that deserves a penalty, He has saved us from that penalty of sin, which is death. Amen? But in the present, are you and I still struggling with the power of sin? Yes, we are. Sin no longer has a power on us. But we still struggle with the power of sin. Can you see? So as long as it is present, Jesus continues to, in inverted commas, save us. Can you follow this? You have to keep looking at Jesus to understand that you have this power over sin. Sin has no longer any power over you. But in the future, one day, we will be saved from the presence of sin. Now, this is not new teaching. Google this and you will find this all over the place. But when we only look at sin as one point here, our salvation as one point here, we disregard all this in the future and the present. Now, in the traditional understanding of theology, we have these three big words. Justification, sanctification, glorification. Let me push on a little bit more. Another way of saying justification is to say you were saved. Sanctification, you are being saved. Glorification, you will be saved. Amen? You see, this is salvation. But I fear we have not taught this in totality in our churches. Or maybe we teach one part here, we teach one part there, we teach one part there, and then we don't know how to put it all together. Because all we are told is, just believe in Jesus, after you die, you go to heaven. But we don't understand this. This is what salvation is all about. That's why the writer of Hebrews put it this way. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. And what happens as we drift away? This is what happens, we neglect. And he asks in the question, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? How shall we escape if we neglect? In other words, if you treat your salvation of no value, if you think, oh, it's once done, finished already, I don't have to do anything anymore, I don't have to take heed, I don't have to be careful, I don't have to posture, I don't have to learn, then be careful, you might drift away. And we've seen many people do that. Many, many people do that. Don't neglect so great a salvation. Now that we've known the name of Jesus, I want to move to the next point where we're going to study the name of Emmanuel. So Matthew continues writing and he says, so all this was done. What's all this? The birth of Jesus Christ, the naming of Jesus, all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. Now, this is Matthew's very first direct Old Testament reference from the prophet Isaiah. And you'll find this verse in chapter 7 and verse 14 of Isaiah. 
Now, am I right to say this verse is very familiar with, to us, right? Uh, especially when, it, when, when Christmas comes. Oh, you find it on your Christmas cards, you find it on the decorations, you know, and uh, everyone is singing this name. So we know this verse. My question to you is not whether you know this name or this verse. My question is, do you know the context of this verse? Have you ever read Isaiah chapter 7? Do you know what happened in that time? Because I believe that if you know the context and you appreciate the significance, it will help you understand this name a lot better. Okay, so I'm going to help you a little bit here, and we're going to go with a map. In Isaiah chapter 7 and 8, as well as a parallel of 2 Kings chapter 16 and 17, take it down and you can read it when you have time. We are told that there is this war called the Syro-Ephraimite War. It happened about 700 plus BC. And this is the map of Israel and of Judah, by which time there, was, there were two kingdoms. There was a northern kingdom called Israel, and there is a southern kingdom called Judah. Now, what's the scenario? Assyria was a rising superpower. And this king called Tiglath-Pileser III, he was chomping up small nations all around. The Assyrian forces were growing. Now, that caused a big threat to this guy called Rezin, who is the king of Syria, and also Pekah, who is the king of Israel, the northern kingdom. So these are smaller nations again against a, a growing Assyria. Now, what did they do? These two formed an alliance. Can you imagine? They were enemies before. And now they have aligned with one another, Israel and Syria. And they say, I don't think we are big enough. We need to pull someone along. So let's look for someone in the south who might be threatened also. So they looked to Judah. The king of Judah was Ahaz at that point in time. And this is how they wanted to convince him. They attacked him. <laughs> okay? They said, if we can just convince him with a little bit of force, maybe we can get him to join us and we have a better chance against Assyria. And so we have this verse in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 2. It was told to the house of David, saying, Syria's forces are deployed in Ephraim. So his heart, Ahaz's heart, and the heart of his people were moved as the trees of the woods are moved with the wind. Now that's very poetic for saying they were panicking. All right, they were really, really shaking in their pants. Yeah? Because these two smaller nations have come against them, but somehow they were not able to overcome them. Now, what happens? Ahaz now has a decision to make because Rezin and Pekah are going to come against them now. Does he align with them? What's he going to do? Now, at this time, thank God, in times of crisis, God sends a prophet. Hallelujah. So Isaiah comes, and we're going to have a lesson about names. That's why tonight it's about names. I want you to notice something that we're going to see some names being thrown about. It will describe a situation. It will address that. There will be a message that comes, and I've given you the Bible verse. So the first thing we see is Ahaz is addressed as, O house of David. So the first name that's thrown is what? David. What's the situation? The kingdom of Judah, at that point, the southern kingdom, was threatened. 
And so Isaiah comes, and the Bible records, O house of David. In other words, hello, you are in the line of David. Do you remember anything about David? Do you remember what God said to David? Have you read your Bibles in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that God made a promise and a covenant to David that his kingdom and his name will be established? You see that? And so God is actually sending Isaiah to remind Ahaz as a son and a descendant of David, remember the covenant. Don't be afraid and don't be shaken by all these things that's happening because if God has made a covenant with David and you are a son and a child of David, you stand into this covenant, you have a decision to make. Now, God doesn't just send Isaiah. He says, I want you to bring your son. Now, this is really cute. Huh? So Isaiah brings his son and the son's name is called Shear Jeshub. Shear Jeshub's name means a remnant will return. I've always wondered with children named like that, when they have to scold this person or discipline him. A remnant will return, a remnant will return. You know, can you imagine? He's always declaring a prophetic word when he calls the name. And this is a sign as well as a message to Ahaz to say, look, Syria and Israel, don't worry about them. They're limited. That's all they're going to go. This is as far as they will come. They are like little, little stubs. They are smoldering. Their fire is going to go out. They're going to fall. And whatever happens even to you, you are a child of David. Whatever happens to you, this is your land. God will restore. A remnant will come back. Then he goes to chapter 7, verse 14. And Isaiah then tells um, Ahaz, you don't believe? I tell you what. I give you bonus. You ask God for a sign. And Ahaz says, no, lah, I don't ask God for a sign. This will be like testing God. Now, this sounds really very pious. But actually, in his heart, he's already made up. I don't want to listen to God anymore. He already made up his mind to do something. And so Isaiah says, okay, fine. You don't ask for a sign. God says, I will give you a sign anyway. Because it's important. So God gives a sign. And he says, a virgin will bear, a, a, a child will conceive and will bear a son and will call, her, call him Emmanuel. And here is this message. And we know Emmanuel means God is with us. And in the prophecy, Isaiah is saying, look, Assyria will invade, whether you like it or not. But it's okay, Emmanuel. But to Ahaz, it's like, well, that's not good news. I mean, Assyria is going to invade, right? But the good news is here. God is with us. And this is where we'll do a little bit of a detour or camp there for a while because there's a lot of debate. Was this prophecy fulfilled in Ahaz's time? Or was it just a, a riddle that Ahaz didn't understand and it was finally only fulfilled in Jesus Christ? Now today we have taken it as Jesus Christ. We know that. Okay, but let's go into history a little bit. So let's do a slight detour here. Now, if you look at the prophecy, this is what it says. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you. Who is you? Ahaz. So meaning to say, it must have meaning for Ahaz. Otherwise, it won't be a sign for him. All right? If it's just a cryptic prophecy where he doesn't understand it, it makes no sense. Everyone agree with me? And so I believe this prophecy was fulfilled in the time of Ahaz. Because, number one, 
it will be a sign for Ahaz. Now, what is this sign? Number one, there will be a virgin who will conceive and bear a son. That's a sign. Now, I know there are a lot of women who will conceive and bear a child. The question is that in this Hebrew word Alma, it can be translated as a virgin, someone who has not had any sexual relations, or it can also be translated as a young woman. Now, since we do not know of any other virgin conception, I think it's quite safe to presume that it means a young woman. Okay? Now, it's not only a sign, but there will be a timing. In other words, in the courts of Ahaz, or in the days of Ahaz, there will be a woman who will bear a son, and not just bear a son, his name will be called Emmanuel. She will just name him Emmanuel. And the moment Ahaz sees that, he will look at this timing. Before the child shall know how to discern what is good or evil, now you can decide how old that can be. Assyria will come in already. Syria and Israel will fall. But as you see this happen, there's a message. Don't worry. God is with us. Amen to that? See, now I want you to keep this at the back of your head because this prophecy, I believe personally, and that's my own conviction, it was fulfilled in the time of Ahaz for Ahaz. Now going back to another name, then Isaiah says, okay, fine, I'll give you another sign. Now the prophetess will conceive and bear a son and his name will be called Meheshala Hezbes. Now this is a very long name. And it actually means speed the spoil, hasten the booty. And this is another sign for Ahaz that when there is a child by this name, a serious victory is going to come really fast. And this is before this child can actually call father or mother. Now you don't have to be very old to call father and mother. And the message is still repeated once more in Isaiah 8.10. Can I say to you again, Ahaz, don't worry, God is still with us. Alright, so this is the historical context. But as we look at this, Ahaz now has a decision to make. What would he do? With all this affirmation and encouragement and assurance that whatever happens, you are a child of David, you are in the line, you know, in line for the covenant that God has given. And I'm assuring you once, God will be with you. Whatever is going to happen, God will be with you. Double confirm. What was Ahaz's decision? Ahaz sent messengers to the king of Assyria saying, I am your servant and your son. Come up and save me. Now this is very ironic. Huh? We're talking about Jesus who's going to be named Emmanuel. He's the one who comes to save us from our sins. And we have a king of Judah going to the enemy and say, please save me from the hand of the king of Syria, from the hand of the king of Israel who rise up against me. Who does Ahaz align with? He aligns with Assyria and we know that the rest is history. It didn't go well for him after that. Everything was down for. Thank God for a bit of a Hezekiah and all that. But still, that was the start of the downfall of the kingdom of Judah. Now we understand this. Let's look at Matthew. And let's look at Jesus, whose name is called Emmanuel. So Matthew says, All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, bear a son, and they shall call his name 
Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So as I shared with you, I believe the prophecy was primarily fulfilled first in the time of Ahaz. It was a sign to Ahaz. But now, there's another sign. That this is the one. That this is the Yeshua that will be different. And this time, Alma means virgin. Because a few verses before that, Matthew declares, before they came together. And that after they got married, Joseph did not have sexual relationships with her. And it was confirmed in Luke chapter 1, verse 34, Mary herself declaring, How can this be since I do not know a man? You see that? So the sign is not a conception. The sign is a virgin. Whether you believe that she was purely virgin is another matter because they were laughing at them after that. Yeah? So, number one, that there's a sign. Number two, there was also a timing that these things happened. Do you know it will be 700 years later that this prophecy will be fulfilled once more and completely fulfilled? Do you know that it will be after 400 years of silence, what we call the intertestamental period, where the voice of God was not heard. There was no prophetic declaration. There were civil wars. The people of Jew, the, the Jews were, were almost you know, uh, destroyed you know, by foreign powers and so on. They almost lost their national identity. But in the fullness, and when the fullness of time had come, Galatians 4 verse 4, God was not 700 years late. God was not 400 years keeping quiet, not wanting to do everything. He was waiting for the right time, the perfect time. God sends forth His Son, born of a woman. And the message is, friends, whatever you're going through, people of God, in that 700 years, in that 400 years of silence, God is still with us. Can you see the parallel between the prophecy that was given to Ahaz, the sign that was shown? When we understand the context there, we begin then to understand the situation and the context of Jesus Christ. Two points that I've shared here with you. To fully understand the name of Jesus, as well as to understand this name called Emmanuel, not just to know what it means, but to have a bigger picture it leaves me to maybe give you some questions only for pondering. That as I was reflecting upon this, you know, sometimes we treat God or Jesus like a, a superhero, you know, where they appear to save us when we are in problem and after they disappear again. And then when we need them, uh, we have to shine the bad, bad light, you know, the, the bad signal. And when he sees the bad signal, and then he come and save us again. And then after that, he's nowhere to be found anymore. This is not our God. He doesn't just save us and leave us. Amen? Waiting to be called again. No. What I've studied here is Jesus saves and Jesus stays. Amen? And these are the two big points I want you to carry in your heart this evening. He's not hiding somewhere waiting for you to press a... a, 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 a cross signal, you know, for Him to come to, to rescue you. He is there with us all the time. See, the question is, do we know that, you see? But it all depends how you see your salvation. 
if you see as a one-time transaction, it's a done deal, then thank you, Jesus, don't disturb me, I will call you when I need you. It's not, because, it's not that He's not with us, it's that we don't want Him to be with us. So let's ask a question of ourselves. Are you saved from your sins? Now don't think that one time you said the sinner's prayer. Are you still struggling with sin? And if you are, you need to, a broader understanding of salvation. Amen? And I want to ask, are you resting in the priestly intercession of Jesus Christ? That's His priestly role. He continues to pray for us. So if you're still struggling with your sin, that intercession is ongoing, as is your sanctification and your being saved. Are you submitting to the rule and the reign of Jesus, the Messiah, His King? And if you keep fighting against the rule and reign of your King, then you are always missing the mark and you're always falling short in that sense. Thank God that Jesus covers for our shortfall by grace. But you see, that's not the way we were meant to live our lives. Now He has given us the Holy Spirit to enable us. And as we still struggle, He still saves us. Hallelujah. The next question is, are you heeding then the prophetic voice of Jesus? Is He speaking into your hearts right now to say, will you turn from your wicked ways? Will you return to me? Will you return to the Word? Will you return to God? Now some of you hear that and say, oh, you mean I must go back to church? No, I'm not asking you to go back to church. See, that's where the problem begins. I'm asking you to go back to God, to go back to His Word. The church is only a gathering that should help us. Are you saved from your sins? Because Jesus came to save us from our sins. Next question is, how are you making decisions and handling challenges in your life? Ahaz was in a crisis. And time and again, you and I will find ourselves at a crossroad. My question is, would be for Ahaz is, who do you align with? You know, sometimes when I counsel couples who are on the verge of divorce, they don't want to align with Jesus. They don't want to align with the Word of God. They don't want to align with the Holy Spirit and the things of God. Do you know who, do you know who, who they align with? They align with friends who will tell them, we understand, leave that scumbag. They align with pastors who will say, it's all right, no problem. God understands, I will not judge you. They'll go for counseling until they find one word that they like and they say, ah, I knew it, God spoke already. He didn't. You're aligned with the wrong things, you see. And the same promises with us, you know, it's for us that God is with us. It doesn't mean that things will always go right. Just for Ahaz, you know, in the same way for Ahaz, Assyria will attack because of all that is happening down there. But God says, whatever you go through, if you are going through a mess up for the Messiah still, I am with you. That's a promise you can take and hold on to. Are you aligned with Jesus and His kingdom? You see, that's why I, I'm so hung up about an assignment. 
Because when you know an assignment, you stay with it. Say, this is my assignment. Ahaz was king. Every title has a function and an assignment. He was to establish God's rule for God's people. He absconded. But if you know your assignment and say, okay, Lord, if this is your assignment, I have no choice. I must align with you. And I know you're going to be with me. But perhaps some of you are saying, look, pastor, you don't understand. I sometimes feel that I've been forgotten, I've been forsaken, God is not there, He's so quiet, you know. I, I, it's like, heaven's like brass. Is God's word still true? If it is, then He's still there, amen? Sometimes He's silently listening and watching. But He's still there. And that's a promise. If you have felt forgotten or if you have felt forsaken by God, I'm here to encourage you. I'm not here to minimize the pain. But I'm here to assure you that God's word is true, that He is still with us. And if you would hold on to that word faithfully, God can show a sign. God can speak a message. And God can bring something in His timing that would be perfect. But if you're lying with someone else and if you're lying with something else, then He can give you a sign, He can give you a message and His timing can be perfect and it would still be wasted upon us. Will you stay true no matter what? Will you stand assured? Because He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Let me show you a picture. I don't know if you recognize this. This happened very recently in Garissa University where terrorists went in and just shot the students and they picked out Christian ones. And the question resounds and echoes, where was God in this? See, we don't have all the answers. We know only that Jesus came to save us from our sins and He will always be with us. And we know that these who have put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ God never, never forsook them. Amen? But you see, it doesn't mean that all things turn out beautiful. But we know that in Christ, all will be good in the end. Amen to that, right? And let me leave you with a final question. Our King knows us by name. Do we know Him by His? See, our Keeper's awakening is about knowing who we are. As our keepers, we are almost anonymous, we are, we are nameless, and yet we declare this. People may not know us, we may not matter to them, but God knows us by name. Amen. And that should be sufficient. And so when He calls us, He will call us by our names. And today we are named by Christ. Our identity is in Him. And if we belong to Him, we want to know our King and the names that He goes by. And tonight, we have only explored two names, Jesus and the name of Emmanuel. And this theme of Emmanuel is a, is a major Old Testament theme and God has to keep you know, reminding His people that He will always be with us. That is hard. He told Moses, it is my desire to tabernacle with you. I want to have a people that I can dwell in their midst. And today it's no longer limited to a place. It's no longer to a, limited to a temple or a building. 
Jesus says, you bring it down, I will raise up my body. And this is the body of Jesus Christ now. And God lives in each and every one of us by His Holy Spirit. See, this is the privilege we have. The King knows us by name. But I'm asking us, do we know Him by His? Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank You for Scripture once again, Lord. Lord, we thank You for the name of Jesus. We thank You for the name of Emmanuel. We praise You, Lord, that as we believe in Jesus Christ, He saves us from our sins. But Lord, I pray that You will open our hearts, Lord, that we will stop looking elsewhere, but begin by looking within ourselves first. That Lord, if there is a situation or something we are struggling with or we are still battling with sin, may we be convinced tonight, Lord, that You have already done all that needs to be done. But we must appropriate that, Lord, by faith. That Lord Jesus, You are prophet, You are priest, and You are king. And we thank You that You continue to save us until we will see you. And so, Lord, I pray a blessing upon everyone here. I thank you that we all believe us, but I pray that tonight there will be a revelation of what it means to be saved by you, that we can now serve you with joy and with gladness, knowing that you are with us and you will never forsake us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.